0: Presenting Focus on Truth, the Bible teaching ministry of Chuck Bradshaw. Focus on Truth is a non-denominational evangelical Christian ministry to the marketplace. Focus on Truth is dedicated to proclaiming the gospel of the free grace of God and helping people understand the practical relevance of the Bible. Join now with Chuck as together we focus on the truth of God's word. morning we continue our study that I've entitled it is finished the sure foundation of Christianity today where our subtitle is Jesus the perfect and final sacrifice I was listening to the radio the other day and there's a there's a sort of a quasi country rock group that's on now a new group entitled blackberry smoke and uh, I was intrigued by something that they were singing and so I looked it up on the internet and thought I would share it with you I won't share it all and I certainly won't try to sing it but uh, I think it speaks to the universal human condition that we've been talking about and the reason that uh, Jesus needed to come and uh, and die and be that perfect and final sacrifice so uh, the the title of this by Blackberry Smoke Uh, And it was recorded in 2012. I just heard about them uh, just recently. Uh, But the title of it is Ain't Much Left of Me. Well, my fall from grace was a sight to see, good turned to bad and bad turned to misery. I've been rained on, rode hard, and put up wet, danced with the devil till I'm in debt. Took all I got and there ain't much left of me i've been knocked down drug out and left for dead barely held together by a few old threads hey i'm still here there ain't much left to see I'm still holding on and there ain't much left to me. Now that is a good picture of what sin does to us and certainly it's the reason that we need a Savior. And Jesus is the only acceptable solution for our sins. And something that's uh, better known to us, perhaps uh, uh, by Augustus Toplady from Rock of Ages, I believe it's the second stanza, says, Could my tears forever flow? Could my zeal no languor, no, that is no lack of energy whatsoever. These for sin could not atone, thou must save and thou alone. In my hand no price I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Uh, Last time we talked about Pesach, or that is the Passover, and today we're going to be talking about Yom Kippur. Both are Terrific illustrations and really uh, prophetic of what Jesus would do when he went to the cross. You'll recall just uh, briefly uh, that uh, Passover took place on the fourteenth day of Nisan. That's uh, that corresponds. Nisan, the month of Nisan, uh, corresponds to our to the end of uh, March or the first part of April uh, on our Julian calendar. But this was also known as the day of preparation. It was the day just before the feast of unleavened bread began. It was the day when finally they would get all of the leaven out of the house, and the lamb was prepared uh, to be uh, to be cooked. Remember, the lamb would be slain in the afternoon, between three and four o'clock in the afternoon, at the time of the evening sacrifice. And of course, that's the very time when Jesus died and when he cried out. To die it is finished. Uh, but it was uh, uh, the focus certainly is on a deliverance from bondage. The mood uh, was one of joy and feasting. It was a feast of unleavened bread. But uh, today, what we're going to be talking about is uh, is Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement, and that was not a day of feasting. It took place on the uh, 10th of Tijri. Tijri is another month in the Hebrew calendar and corresponds generally to the last part of our month of September or the first part of October. It's the seventh month. Whereas uh, Nisan is the first month in the Hebrew calendar, Uh, Tijri is the seventh month. And the focus is on propitiation, that is on turning away the wrath of God who is angry over sin And the mood is one of repentance and of fasting. Uh, Before we begin to look at Leviticus chapter 16, I do want to point you to uh, something that was written just before 70 A.D., whenever the uh, uh, temple was destroyed by the Romans, in fact Jerusalem was destroyed and and the temple as well. And of course, it has not been rebuilt. the uh, <clears throat> The remains of it are still there until today. We we hear about the the Western Wall and people going and placing their little prayers in the in the cracks of the Western Wall. That uh, is the uh, result of uh, that is that wall that's still standing there, that piece of the wall, that's the result of what happened in AD, uh, AD 70 when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem and the temple as well. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, the book of Hebrews was written uh, probably about two to three years prior to the time that the uh, temple was destroyed. We know that because the context of the book of Hebrews uh, teaches us that there were still sacrifices that were going on at the time. Obviously, there can be no sacrifices as far as as Judaism is concerned apart from a standing temple. And since there is uh, no temple now, uh, and since the uh, the author talks specifically about the Levitical priests carrying on their uh, sacrifices day after day after day, clearly uh, the the temple was still standing at the time it was written. And most uh, scholars seem to believe that it was written probably about two to three years uh, before uh, the destruction came. But anyway, from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 uh, and following. Uh, Notice what the uh, author of Hebrews... Uh, wrote, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins, but when this priest, and he's talking here about Jesus, when this priest, our our great high priest, when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that Time He waits for His enemies to be made His footstool because by one sacrifice He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Uh, no, that's from the New International Version. Um, <clears throat> Notice that there's some there's some great contrasts in there, where he's talking about uh, what the Levitical priests were doing in that day at the temple. It was day after day. That's contrasted with once that our great high priest uh, made the sacrifice once and for all. That the priests stand there. There were no there was no furniture for sitting inside the uh, inside the holy place, and certainly not the only uh, bench inside the holy of Holies was the mercy seat, but that was not a place where uh, a priest went in and sat down. That was a place where the blood was sprinkled once a year on the day of Yom Kippur, which we're about to read about in in just a few minutes. But notice the priests were standing, but what happened after Jesus made his sacrifice? He sat down, not because he was tired, but because his work was finished. There was no more sacrifices to be made. So it's a, there, there's some marvelous contrasts when you when you read the book of Hebrews. But now, what I'd like to do, and if you have your uh, uh, notes there, your outline, we're going to be looking at Leviticus chapter 16, and I put uh, put that in your notes uh, today. We're going to be looking at it from the New American Standard version, uh, and uh, it's 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 on the first page of your notes, just below that double rule. The time. Whereas the the author of Hebrews is writing right before 70 A.D., the time for Leviticus chapter 16 is around 1400 B.C. This is the time when uh, the, the the Ten Commandments were given to Moses, the pattern for the tabernacle, uh, and <clears throat> The uh, all of the rules and regulations that were to be followed regarding sacrifices, and Leviticus 16 fits uh, into that category. It's, it speaks to those kinds of issues. So let's just read through some of this, and uh, we'll make a make a few uh, comments as we go along. Uh, let's uh, let's let's begin reading at verse two the lord said to moses tell your brother aaron remember aaron was the was the high priest of that day the lord said to moses tell your brother aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark or he will die for i will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat notice you you can't just walk in there. You can't waltz in and say, well, it could be that the ark needs dusting today. No, you didn't go in there just any time you wanted to. And not just anybody could go in there. Remember, only the high priest himself could go in. And that was only on the Day of Atonement, uh, on the 10th of, uh, of Tisri. Aaron shall enter the holy place with this, with a bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Uh, Verse 5 says, He shall take from the congregation of the sons of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Then Aaron shall offer the bull for the sin offering which is for himself, that he may make atonement for himself and for his household. Why is it that the high priest had to make atonement for himself? That's right, because he he's a sinner, and he a sinner just like the rest of all. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that included Aaron, that included Caiaphas and Annas in the day of uh, in the day of Jesus, uh, when during the time of his public ministry, it's it's true of us all. So the first thing he had to do was to atone for his own sin. It says in verse 7, He shall take the two goats. Uh, Now this is after He has atoned for Himself. Notice in this passage, what we're going to see is there's a a purification process and it's very orderly. There's a purification first of the high priest himself. Then there's a purification of the congregation. And then there's a purification of the tabernacle. Later on, certainly that would be the temple, but uh, that would not take place for um, centuries, because that would be built by uh, by Solomon, oh, <clears throat> uh, around five centuries later, uh, and then uh, there is a necessity that we'll talk about for purification. Notice it says in verse seven of Leviticus 16, he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats: one lot for the Lord, and the other for the other lot for the scapegoat. Now, one of the reasons I use the New American Standard version is because in some of the some of the other versions that that are that are popular today, instead of using the word scapegoat, it uses the word azazel and uh, most of us don't know what azazel is well azazel is the goat that uh, goes away but uh, in order for clarity that's the reason i chose to use the new american standard because my my preferred translation really is the esv i think it's, uh, it's 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 great in terms of the way it sounds to the ears the 23rd psalm sounds Really good that uh, in the in the new in the ESV, Uh, and I like the NIV when uh, when we're doing character studies because it's so it's so easy to read. It's 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 like reading just in uh, another book almost. It's the the reading is so easy. Alright, verse, uh, verse uh, eight. He's gonna the the. So Aaron's gonna cast lots. It's sort of like uh, uh, used uh, sheep knuckles, and they had uh, writing on them, and he would throw them down, and then based on whatever came up, they would make their uh, make their selection. So uh, one would be one lot was for the Lord, and the other was for the scapegoat. Then Aaron shall offer the goat on which the lot for the Lord fell and make it a sin offering, but the goat on which the lot for the scapegoat fell shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it to send it into the wilderness as the scapegoat all right so you 've got you 've got these two goats that are that are there Aaron has um, uh, has been purified uh, through uh, the offering of a sacrifice. We're about to purify the congregation through the offering of a sacrifice, and uh, and it's 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 going to it's going to use two goats. And those goats are very important. Some people, uh, there are some uh, groups who say, well, the one, the, the goat that was killed represents Jesus and the, the goat that was uh, that was going to be sent away into the wilderness represents uh, someone else. So, some people say that, that even repre- is, represents the old evil one. But no, both these goats are representative of the Lord Jesus. Uh, It shows it's a great picture of the fact that Jesus bore our sins. He died in for the sins of all of His people. We understand that from the death of the the first goat. The, the lot that fell for the, for the Lord. But then what about this scapegoat? Well, remember what's going to happen is we're going to see that the priest, uh, Aaron, is going to place his hands on the head of that goat, uh, that scapegoat, the one that's still alive, and he's going to confess the sins of the, of the people of Israel. And then that goat is going to be led away into a wilderness place, never to be seen again. And it's a picture of the Lord Jesus bearing away our sins. Remember what it says, tells us in Psalm 103, uh, verses uh, 10 and following, where it speaks of the Lord, says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far. Are, does He remove our transgressions from us? Isn't that a great verse? Uh, and think about it. Think about what what uh, what David has written here under the inspiration of the Spirit. God doesn't say, uh, "As far as the north is from the south, I've separated you from your sins." Because you can, uh, if if uh, if you start traveling north and you get up to the North Pole and you reach that place. At the North Pole, where it's the, the uppermost point, and you keep going, then you begin traveling south again. But the Lord doesn't separate us as far as the north our, from our sins, as far as the north is from the south, but as far as the east is from the west. Because if you start traveling east and you go over, you know, here we are in, uh, in, in Georgia, and uh, and you travel all the way, uh, you know, to to the to the East Coast to uh, to Savannah, and then you get on a ship and you you take uh, you you keep traveling and you make your way over to Europe and you keep traveling east. You can continue to circle the globe, and East never ever meets the West. Isn't that that marvelous, the way that uh, the Lord's done that? And it says, He has separated us from our sins just as far as the east is from the west. Praise be to God. Verse 11, Then Aaron shall offer the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his household. And he shall slaughter the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself. Then He shall slaughter the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as He did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. He shall make atonement for the holy place. Notice the the, the, the way in which this is done. This is atoning for the for Aaron himself and his household, then for the congregation, and then, for this tabernacle, because although it was uh, uh, it was constructed according to god 's plans, men and women were involved in the process, and in the process, their sinful hands were on these things, and they needed to be atoned for uh, he shall make a verse sixteen. He shall make atonement for the holy place because of the impurities of the sons of Israel and because of their transgressions in regard to all their sins, and thus he shall do for the tent of meeting which abides with them. And when he verse twenty, when he finishes atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall offer the live goat. All right, so here, here, here's here's that offering where it's a picture of Jesus dying for our sins. Uh, if you've got your notes in front of you, look just to the left of that in Haggai chapter two, um, verses eleven through fourteen. This is from the NIV. And notice what it says. Um, This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priest what the law says. right, so he says... He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the priest and I want you to ask him a question because when you ask him this question, the answer they're going to give you is going to give you some insight into your uh, situation. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priest what the law says. If a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of his garment and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? And the priest answered, no. So here's, here is it. You've got this meat that's dedicated to the Lord that's going to be offered up to the Lord. And you happen to bump into something else. Does the fact that you bump into it, does that make this other thing holy? And what was the priest's answer? No, it doesn't. And and what it's telling us there is that holiness is not communicable. You can't get it just by bumping into somebody. You can't uh, be a holy person simply because your grandmother is a holy person or because your father is a holy person. it's not communicable that way. He goes on to say, Then Haggai said, If a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Now, here again, he says, well, what about if you've uh, if you if you're out doing some stuff and all of a sudden you you ran into this dead body uh and somehow you you wound up touching it, you know, you you thought this guy was probably just unconscious and you flipped him over and you come to find out he's dead and here you are, you're defiled and uh you know, you're you got some cleaning up to do and he says, "Okay. Now, suppose you're in that condition and you bump into some of these things like we were talking about" Uh, earlier where you touch some bread or stew or wine or oil or other food does uh, does that make this other thing um, defiled as well because it was touched after you've been touched after you've touched a dead body and what did the priest answer yes it becomes defiled so what do we learn from this while holiness is not communicable unholiness is Is communicable and truth is is that our lives um, our sin always defiles other people we never sin to ourselves we uh, our sin affects other people and then he goes on to say then Haggai said so it is with this people and this nation speaking of Israel in my sight declares the Lord whatever they do and whatever they offer is defiled. And so that that's the, the reason I read that and the reason I want you to see that is because that's why they're going through this process of purification, first of the high priest in his household, then the congregation, and then the the place of meeting. Because of our sinfulness, we defile things. That's the reason we need a Savior. We need a Savior to save us from our sin. And he, one of the things that we're going to see in subsequent studies is under the new covenant, He gives us a new heart where the, the law is no longer written on tablets of stone and outside of us. Though God writes His law in our hearts, on our hearts and in our minds, and He makes new creations out of us. And uh, He gives us the desire to want to please Him. And uh, things just change, change dramatically when we come to know God through the person of the Lord Jesus. And in fact, He's, He's the only way we can know the true God. Uh, verse twenty. When <clears throat> you didn't think we'd get back, did you? Uh, Leviticus sixteen, verse twenty. When he finishes atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall offer the live goat. Then Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel and all their transgressions in regard to all their sins. And he shall lay them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who stands in readiness. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to a solitary land and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. But the bull of the sin offering and the goat of the sin offering whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place shall be taken outside the camp and they shall burn their hides, their flesh, and their refuse in the fire. And of course, fire is a picture of judgment. And being taken outside the camp is a picture of what happened to Jesus. Remember, He was taken outside the walls of Jerusalem. He was crucified outside the city gates. And um, and, and again, uh, He talks about here the, this this live goat, the scapegoat, is the one who is led off into the wilderness never to be seen again. And when you look at the two goats, it, it paints a great picture for us of what the Lord Jesus did on the cross. The the goat who died, who was uh, burned as a sacrifice, and everything about Him was burned and burned outside the uh, outside the camp. Out there is a, is a picture of Jesus dying for our sins where the wrath of God is falling on Him. Jesus cries out, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? as he takes on the wrath of God and the, the wrath that was due to all of God's people was poured out on Jesus instead. And what happened to all of that sin? Look at the scapegoat. The scapegoat's taken into the wilderness, never to be seen again, bearing away the sins. And it's a picture of the death of, because of the death of Jesus, He bore away our sins. He'll never, they'll never be brought up to us again. Uh, That's the reason the the author of Hebrews uh, quoting from the Old Testament says, your sins and your iniquities, He will remember no more. It doesn't mean that God has Alzheimer's or some sort of uh, mental disability, uh, but it simply means that God is is unwilling to hold those things against us anymore, and why? Well, because they've been punished in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and if they've been punished once, then there is no uh, there's no justification in punishing uh, punishing twice for something that's already uh, already been taken taken care of. In fact, let me let me just read you a uh, again from a hymn. Uh, another hymn by Augustus Toplady. I I don't know what the tune is, because if I did, I wouldn't try to sing it for you. But uh, the title of it is Faith Reviving. And uh, it's. uh, let me just read part of it anyway. From whence this fear and unbelief hath not the Father put to grief His spotless Son for me? And will the righteous judge of men condemn me for that debt of sin which Lord was charged on thee? Complete atonement thou hast made, and to the utmost farthing paid whate'er thy people owed, nor can his wrath on me take place, if sheltered in thy righteousness and sprinkled with thy blood. If thou hast my discharge procured, and freely in my room endured the whole of wrath divine, payment God cannot twice demand. First at my bleeding surety's hand, and then again at mine. Turn then, my soul, unto thy rest. The merits of thy great high priest have bought thy liberty. Trust in his efficacious blood, nor fear thy banishment from God, since Jesus died for thee. Listen, that ought to make a Presbyterian shout and uh, certainly ought to make an Episcopalian shout as as well as all the rest of us uh, as well. But what a beautiful picture. Uh, when we look at Yom Kippur, we look at the Day of Atonement and we see Jesus atoning for sins, taking the the paying the sin debt for all of His people and we'll never face that again. God has separated us from our sin as far as the east is from the west. He won 't bring it up again, uh, and there 's no reason for us to bring it up again. We have uh, daily cleansing that 's the reason we have first john one nine If we confess our sins, we our that 's the believer that 's not the, an, a, a verse for an unbeliever that 's a verse for a believer. If we confess our sins this daily defilement that we get, just dealing walking through this world and dealing with this world. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. My little children, I would that you do not sin. But if anyone sin We have an Advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus. And He is the propitiation for our sin. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, doesn't matter. We all—the only propitiation that uh, that counts, the only way that we can turn that the wrath of God can be turned away—is through faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Once more, I point you to Hebrews chapter thirteen. I I put a little. Uh, verse passage below that second double line in your notes and um, it says in Hebrews 13 verse 10 and following and this is from the English Standard Version we have an altar we believers we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat notice he's again he's He's contrasting what we have with what, what, the, uh, what they had in those days through their sacrifices at the temple. He goes on to say, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also that He might sanctify the people through His own blood suffered outside the gate. So let us go out to Him outside the camp bearing His reproach. We need to identify with the Lord Jesus. Uh, in Micah chapter 7, verses 18 and 19, it says, Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of His possession. He does not retain His anger forever because He delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. And I might add... that he puts up a no fishing sign don't go fishing he separates us from our sins as far as the east is from the west he buries our sins in the deepest sea the deepest part of the sea where people can't uh, can't go nothing can live down there well i guess there are some critters that can live down there but uh, certainly we we cannot now by way of contrast, and this is on page 2 of your notes and we'll talk about as much of this as we can, I want us to relate this to the superiority of uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you read the book of Hebrews, the key word to understanding the book of Hebrews is the word better. Jesus is better than Aaron. He's better than Moses. He's better than Joshua. His sacrifice is better than animal sacrifices. Um, every all the contrasts are there, and the and comparisons and contrast. And the key to understanding the book of Hebrews is that under the new covenant. Everything is better. We have a better covenant than they had uh, in those days. Nothing wrong with the covenant of those, uh, the old covenant. Uh, there's nothing wrong with the with the Old Testament. Uh, there's nothing wrong with the Ten Commandments because obviously they reflect the character of God. But the truth is, is that they're all they could do was uh, was stir up sin within us you, you think about it you look at a, a a sign somewhere that says speed limit 55 and you're out on the highway you see that 55 the the, the first thing you say is, well i wonder if i go up to about 62 if that'll uh if that'll the cops will still stay uh if they want to come after me you know it just stirs up things and it's like seeing the sign that says wet paint do not touch invariably we're going to touch it or the grass it's got the little stickers on it says you know this has been sprayed don't walk on it and we we feel in uh, compelled to put our toe in it there's something about uh, restrictions that just stir up something inside of us, because that old rebellious uh, nature still remains there, even though this uh, this new nature that God has given us is, uh, is the one that uh, that ultimately will prevail. so we talk about the superiority of Christ, and in hebrews nine Verses one through twelve, uh, we we uh, want we'll to talk about two things. Uh, in this first section is the superior sanctuary, and then secondly the superior sacrifice. So uh, remember uh, again the. Uh, everything under the Old Covenant it was all external the uh, the sacrifices that were made did not take away sin uh, all they did was make you ceremonially clean they had to be repeated the next year on Yom Kippur uh, if you did something wrong during the week and uh, you'd have to bring up bring some sort of sacrifice to the priest to take care of that and so it was uh, it was all something but uh, so let's just let's just read uh, beginning at Hebrews chapter 9 now he's describing he's he's contrasting this old sanctuary that is the old tabernacle uh, with the uh, with with the new sanctuary that uh, that Jesus has now the the earthly tabernacle with the heavenly tabernacle notice what it says uh, and incidentally, if, you, if you're wondering about the size, the courtyard of the tabernacle was 150 feet by 75 feet. So if you, if you think of that in terms of a football field and, uh, and just place that on there, that, that'll usually give you a little bit of an, an idea. 150 by 75. And then the tabernacle itself, which sat inside the courtyard near the back end of the courtyard, near the west end of the courtyard, uh, uh, was uh, 45 uh, feet long and then uh, 15 feet wide and 15 feet tall. And the uh, the last compartment, the Holy of Holies, where the uh, Mercy Seat and the Ark of the Covenant were located, that was a perfect cube. It was 15 by 15 by 15. And then the uh, area just outside of that, the, instead of the Holy of Holies, it was called the Holy Place, where the uh table of showbread and the lamp stand uh and the uh, and the altar of incense were located, that was uh that was thirty feet long out there. Okay. <clears throat> don't worry, there's not going to be a test on this. verse At least not from me. Verse 6, Now when these things, that is the furnishings of the tabernacle, have been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle, performing the divine worship. He's talking about the priests, what they would do in the holy place, trimming the, trimming the wicks on the lamps, offering the incense. Remember, that's what Zechariah was doing whenever the angel Gabriel showed up to him and he, he wound up, uh, not being able to talk for nine months, and uh, and also the uh, the table of showbread that where the bread was uh, was changed. So, and the, the the regular kind of priests were ministering there. It was the high priest who could only go into the holy of holies. He says so. They they are continually entering the outer tabernacle performing the divine worship, but into the second, that is the holy of holies, this. This one in the very back. Only the high priest enters once a year and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. Remember, that's what we just read about in Leviticus chapter 16. And then he says, here's the commentary on it. The holy verse 8, the holy spirit is signifying this that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing. Remember, there's this there's this real thick veil between the holy place and the holy of holies. Well, If you remember your gospel accounts of when Jesus died, there was something that happened inside. Of course, the tabernacle was long gone by then, and they constructed a permanent uh, edifice, which we call the temple, uh, there in Jerusalem. But there was something that happened uh, inside that area, and what was that? Yes, the veil was split in two. It was rent, and it was rent from the top down to the bottom. And the Bible is specific in uh, in that distinction. The Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing. Well, we know that when that veil was split, that's a picture of now we have access. Before, only the high priest had access into the presence of God, and that was just once a year. And that was only when He would bring blood in there. But now that veil has been torn asunder. And we all have access. All of us. Anyone, whosoever will come, has access into the very, <clears throat> into the very presence of God through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that's already been shed he says uh this uh The way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing, which is a symbol for the present time. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience since they relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until a time of reformation. Well, what was the time of reformation? He's not talking about 1517 in Mark Martin Luther, the time of Reformation that the that the author of Hebrews is talking about is the sacrifice of Christ. That's when everything changed. That's when the new covenant was cut, and everything changed. So you've got you've got um, you've got an, the the emphasis in this earthly tabernacle is on externals: the diet, and drink, and washing, and the various rituals. Uh, and yet the things that were in there all pointed to Christ like the gold lampstand Jesus said he's the light of the world the table of showbread which was on the north uh, north wall the Jesus said he's the bread of life the altar of incense that was before that uh, before that veil into the holy of holies like where Zechariah was uh, was burning incense when Gabriel showed up there that's a picture of Jesus as our intercessor so and you've got all of these activities constant activities in the holy place in the most holy place the holy of Holies and yet it was all very inadequate and it it, it all all it did was point to the need for real forgiveness, real reconciliation. But it was, it was not able to meet that need. It, it couldn't. It couldn't cleanse the conscience. It could just make a person ceremonially clean. Well, why not? Why couldn't it really clean somebody up? Going through all those rituals. Well. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and following says, There is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do. Weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. See, the the law couldn't clean us up. All the law could do is just show us what needy sinners we are. It could just show us what guilty sinners we are. But it couldn't clean us up. It's like a mirror. We look in the mirror and we see that our hair is disheveled. And guys, we look in the mirror and we see that uh, we've got we've got three day growth on our face. But rubbing our heads and rubbing our face on the mirror won't won't. Clear up the problem. All it does is show us what the problem is. It's going to take a comb to straighten out our hair. It's going to take a razor to get the stubble off of our face. So the law showed us something. But it showed us something about ourselves. And it showed us that that it was impossible for the law to, to deal with us properly. All it could do is just show us our need. And it showed us. That, that need to be satisfied only in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and here he talked about the witness of the holy spirit and uh, god's presence what limited access there was at that time and now there is full access let us come in another place in hebrews the writer would would write let us come to the throne of grace, where we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why, my goodness, no average Israelite would have ever even considered something like that possible. Remember, in the old tabernacle and also in the temple, you know, you, you you've got those two compartments where the, the the high priest could only function in one priest function in the other and then outside of that there was a there was a courtyard of the levites those were the those were people who were helpers for the priests well that was as far as they could go beyond that there was the courtyard of men women couldn't go couldn't get that close beyond that there was the courtyard of the women and beyond that was the court court of the gentiles Remember, that's where they set, where all the tables were set up that Jesus turned over. They just decided, hey, Gentiles don't need to be fooling around with this. We just, we'll just set up our tables out here and change money and sell animals that the, the priests have said are okay for sacrifice. So again, it's a picture of limited access. But when Jesus died on the cross and that veil was split from the top to the bottom, all of a sudden now access is there. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace where we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He couldn't... He couldn't the, old, the old way couldn't clear our conscience in fact in other places he says all those sacrifices did was just remind us of what terrible sinners we really are and it was all of a it was all of a temporary nature well see you next year we're gonna Yom Kippur next year gonna do it all over again next year and then there's a contrast here, verses 11 and 12, where the, where the old earthly tabernacle is contrasted with the heavenly tabernacle. It says, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come... Now, what are those good things to come? Well, things like justification and forgiveness and adoption and reconciliation and being sealed with the Holy Spirit and being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. When Christ appeared as a a high priest of the good things to come, He entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. That is to say, not of this creation. So this is a heavenly tabernacle. Where is Jesus now? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Not just this will last you till next September. No, it's eternal redemption. Notice here, the emphasis is not on externals, it's on internals. That Jesus is is the divine architect. He's the builder and His divine accomplishment. The work is accomplished here. It's not just make you ceremonially clean. This will cleanse the conscience, the the work of Jesus. When He cried out to Telestai, it is finished. Believe me, it was finished. Now he begins at this point to begin to talk about um, after talking about the superior sanctuary of the Lord Jesus. Now he begins to talk about his superior sacrifice in verse 13. For if the blood now notice this follows hard on what he's what he just finished saying. He entered, he, Jesus, entered the holy place, this heavenly place, once for all, having obtained eternal redemption for if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who've been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh that is for ceremonial cleansing how much more notice what he's doing he's arguing from the lesser to the greater if 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 all of this blood sacrifices if all this stuff these animal sacrifices could uh, could Make you ceremonially clean. Verse 14, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now once again, we see there's a contrast between the external and the internal. Cleanse our consciences, he goes on to say. To cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living God it 's a better type of renewal that we 're getting the The blood of animals would provide a ceremonial cleansing, certainly it would provide also a cultural kind of acceptance. But the blood of Christ Jesus uh, cleanse the conscience. And it made it made our service to God acceptable to Him. You know, there's a contrast between once a year and once for all time between the human uh, and the. Uh, And and deity, the human is is mortal. Think about the old high priest; he's he's going to die. You might get a good one one time, and might get a sorry one the next time. And he would it would be difficult uh, to sometimes relate to the high priest. But we have a high priest who understands us, and because he is the God Man, he is one hundred percent God. He is one hundred percent man. He knows what it means to be a to be a human being. He knows what it feels like to go through all the things that the rest of us go through. That's the reason He is such a wonderful, magnificent High Priest, in addition to the fact that He is the one who offered Himself for our sins. Notice what else. Not only a better type of renewal, but a better inheritance. Now we're going to be talking about the New Covenant in our next session of study so i 'm going to skip over that, but uh, in verse twenty four he says, "For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true and see the, the tabernacle in the wilderness and the temple were like copies of some uh, the, the tabernacle specifically was was a copy <clears throat> excuse me as it were of, uh, of, of what was going on in heaven." He did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God, that is, in the presence of God the Father, for us. Nor was it... uh, Well, let's pause here for just a minute. Remember what it says in First John chapter two, verse one. In fact, I quoted some of it a little while ago, where it says, "My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate, we have a defense counsel, with the Father, Jesus Christ." The righteous, And that word advocate is the word parakletos. It's the same word that's used of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus in, in the upper room prior to the crucifixion said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I'm, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He, he I'm going to give you the helper. Uh, that's the word parakletos, the one who is called alongside to help. That's the same word that's used here and translated by the word advocate with the Father. He's the one... Who is called alongside as our defense counsel? When you remember the old devil is called the accuser of the brethren. He tempts us, and then when we give in to temptation, he accuses us. The guy said, "Look at Bradshaw. Look at I. I told you. I, how in the world, God, can you call him your son when 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 he does that kind of stuff right there?" And there is my advocate, the Lord Jesus. He says, "Yes, Father, he did it, but Father." I pay for it all. I paid it all. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. There's a great old hymn uh, written by uh, Robert Grant. O worship the King, all glorious above, and gratefully sing His power and His love. Our shield and defender the ancient of days, pavilioned in splendor and girded with praise. The last, uh, the last stanza. Frail children of dust and feeble as frail. In thee do we trust nor find thee to fail. Thy mercies how tender, how firm to the end, our Maker, Defender, Redeemer, and Friend. Praise be to God. And notice... What he says about sin in verses 25 and following in Hebrews chapter nine. Uh, let's let's pick up the sentence uh, from. Verse 24, he says, He's entered into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. That's as our defense counsel, the one who's always there to intercede for us, to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now, let me pause here for just a minute, and I, I, I'm not trying to pick a fight, but I do. I, I feel it necessary to to talk about this, uh, and that is about the Roman Catholic Mass. Uh, I want to read you a, um, a quotation from Dr. Ludwig Ott who is a a Roman Catholic Church theologian and it's from his book Fundamentals of Catholic Dogma that was published in 1955. Now this is the guy who who tells you what all this stuff means. This is this is almost like the Bible for Roman Catholics. And notice what he says in this book Fundamentals. Inasmuch as the priesthood of Christ is perpetual, we would agree with that. And sacrifice is an essential part of the priesthood. We agree with that because Jesus did perform sacrifice. The sacrificial offering of Christ must also be perpetual. No, that's a damnable heresy there. And that's the—that's just the opposite of what the author of the book of Hebrews is saying here. He says... Um, it was not that He would offer Himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that's not His own. Otherwise, He would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once, at the consummation of the ages, He has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. Let me, let me just uh, mention one other thing also. And that is Ott comments on the old uh, on the decisions of the Council of Trent that took place back in the 16th century. And here, and I quote, uh, I quote Ludwig Ott here: "The Holy Mass is a true and proper sacrifice. It is physical and propitiatory. Remember, propitiatory. That means." In the Mass, they are turning away the wrath of God. It is physical and propitiatory, removing sins and conferring the grace of repentance. Propitiated by the offering of this sacrifice, he's talking about the Mass. God by granting by granting the grace of the gift of penance remits trespasses and sins however grievous they may be. Now what does that mean? That means that the Roman Catholic mass according to the expert in Roman Catholic dogma the Roman Catholic mass is a sacrifice of Christ. Christ is offered daily and multiple times on Sundays and therefore, God's satisfaction is dependent upon the Mass. And that's the reason for the prevalence of the crucifix. That Jesus, all, in any Roman Catholic church, you will see not just a cross, but you will see a crucifix. Jesus is affixed to the cross. Well, let me tell you what, the cross is empty. And the tomb is empty. The thing that holds the the body of Jesus right now is that place where He is seated at the right hand of the Father where He ever lives to make intercession for us. In this case, the Roman Catholic Church, and I have many Roman Catholic friends, but they are wrong about this. It is in direct opposition to Scripture. Christ does not need to suffer. Often He has suffered once at the consummation of the ages And He has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. And then the last two verses of Hebrews 9, And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once, to bear the sins of many, that's the elect, those who will come to Christ, he will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin. When Jesus returns, it's not to die for sin. He's coming back for those who eagerly await Him. Judgment follows death. Reincarnation is not true. You live once, you die once, and then the judgment comes. But there's no fear If you are in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what do we conclude from all of this? Well, our time is essentially gone, but let's just look briefly at a couple of things there in your conclusion. Uh, The law of God was designed to show us our sins, not to assuage our consciences. The law could only make demands, and then it would condemn us when those demands were unmet. The law was temporary. It was a tutor until the coming of Christ. I read you from Galatians 3, but before faith came, that's faith in Christ, we were kept in custody under the law being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore the law has become our tutor or our schoolmaster to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. See, that's the great thing about the new covenant. this is what we'll talk about in our next session. That we are under the new covenant. God has written His law in our hearts and in our minds. He's given us a a new nature. He's given us new desires. That's the reason the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord, and He'll give you the desires of your heart. Well, those desires of my heart are new desires because I'm a new creation we'll talk about that the tabernacle in the wilderness and the Levitical rituals were representations of a greater reality specifically Christ Jesus and his sacrifice Levitical offerings could provide only temporary ceremonial cleansing in other words sin was covered but it was still there it was just covered up but to contrast Christ's sacrifice provides eternal salvation and a clean conscience to all those who trust Him because our sins are taken away. Gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are gone. The old song, the old spiritual song used to say, 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Remember the old hymn by Philip Bliss, Oh, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Now, How do we appropriate these internal changes paid for by Christ? Well, one of the things that we do is we cease and desist from emphasizing the externals. That is, stop going through the motions. I've got to do this to make myself more acceptable to God. And we begin to focus on the internals by fixing our attention on Christ and on His finished work. Remember, John the baptizer said, the axe is laid to the root of the tree it's useless to apply a band-aid to arterial bleeding you know, it makes you feel it may make you feel good cause you're doing something. I'm sticking something on here where the blood's coming out but if it's arterial bleeding I'm telling you that band-aid is not going to get the job done you're gonna need to start with a tourniquet so who do I trust whom do I trust myself my own abilities or do I trust in Christ and His finished sacrifice. die, it is finished. It's completely complete. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. Let's pray. You've been listening to Focus on Truth the Bible teaching ministry of Chuck Bradshaw. Focus on Truth is a non-denominational evangelical Christian ministry to the marketplace. Your gifts to Focus on Truth are tax deductible. For a free copy of our monthly newsletter, Glimpses of Truth, or other information about the ministry, write to Focus on Truth, Box 5367, Columbus, Georgia, 31906.